You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. The children of Israel were getting ready to go to a battle, and uh, the enemy was not too concerned because they said their God, he's just a God of the mountains, but he's not a God of the valley. Well, I got news for you. Our God is still God in the valley. And uh, I'm thankful there are times when you're up on the mountain. There's times when you're down in the valley. But I'm glad that God is still faithful and God is still good. Hallelujah for that. We're going to dismiss the teens on target to go to your service uh, with Brother Nathan and Miss Grace. And uh, we are privileged tonight. Most, I think everyone here, I think you know uh, Jared. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't know Jared. But for those that are watching... Uh, those that might be listening on the radio, Jared is uh, my brother. I'm the oldest of seven, and Jared's the youngest of seven, and he's been our uh, summer intern here at the church uh, several of the summers, and he's been back, helped us over Christmas break, and then even when COVID hit last year, he came back, and he helped us so much with all the online services and keeping things going, but he's been a blessing. Uh, Jared graduated last Monday. Uh, from West Coast Baptist College a week ago this past Monday, and uh, he'll be getting married on May 29th, and uh, if you want to share some more about that and what you're doing, I think everyone knows, but we're so thankful he's back tonight. And how many of you have never heard Jared preach? Anybody that has never heard him? He's preached a few times. I think everybody, we've got one. Um, well, I'll tell you what, the rest of you, you're here because you know, you've heard him. And you know it'll be good. But I love Jared. I'm so happy for him. And uh, at the end of the service, we'll have the invitation all that. But at the end of the service, uh, I want us to have special prayer that God would bless him as he goes out. And uh, he'll, he'll have to come back. He'll have to come back to visit mom, right? And to visit your two sisters and brother and all the nieces and nephews and all that. You'll have to come back. But uh, I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, it might be a little while. So uh, I certainly want to staff prayer for him at the close of the service. But Jared, we love you. Come on and preach. And we're looking forward to hearing from you tonight. Turn your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How many of you have had someone in your life who just knows when to say the right thing at the right time, right when you need it? Tonight I got to church and my mom said, Jared, I don't think there's going to be very many people here tonight. <laughs> then, I, then I get into church. I get into church tonight, sit down, and my sister Julie says, Jared, you look really nervous. I'm like, like what do you say to that? What do you say to something like that? Like, thanks, I, I know I look nervous. So, Jennifer, thank you for not saying anything tonight. I appreciate it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I am nervous tonight, and I'm glad that I am. Um, you know, I'm glad that Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't look and, and say, let me see all the people, all the men who are really good at, at soul winning, who are good, they're fishers of men, and then let me choose them, and then they'll follow me. No, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, follow me, anybody, it's an invitation to anyone, and I will make you fishers of men. So he doesn't have requirements. All he says is, hey, you, you, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Just follow me and all the responsibility will be on me. If you just stay close to me, I'll make you fishers of men. I will make you 
the person that I, I want you to be. Just stay close to me. And I'm grateful for that truth, and so I'm excited to be able to share truth, not because of anything that I've done, but because there's power in the Word of God. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll be there in a second. February 19th, 2016. It was a cold Friday night, Geneseo, Illinois, small town, and anyone who's been in the Midwest knows that winters there are not the greatest. Pretty cold, you got to dress for them. And that night, I was a senior in high school, 17 years old, and I was playing basketball at the local uh, gymnasium, the YMCA in, the, in town, and I was in the middle of a basketball game. And you got to remember, as a 17-year-old, basketball was everything for me. It was my life. I breathed basketball. I knew every stat. I knew every player. I knew every team. Everything. And any conversation you had with me, somehow I would connect it. Like, speaking of basketball, this is what happened. Nothing to do with basketball. I just loved it. And on that night, I was playing in a basketball game. And I remember, of course, my phone was off to the side. I wasn't paying attention to my phone. I was into the game. And finally, somebody, one of my friends, hey, Jared, hey, someone's trying to get a hold of you. Check your phone. So I went, checked, uh, checked my phone, and I had s uh, several missed calls, texts, and uh, finally I called back Caleb, who's in here. And Caleb said, Jared, stop what you're doing. It's your dad. He said, I don't know what's going to happen. He said, just rush home. Said, stop whatever you're doing. And of course I did. I left the gym, sped back home, was driving faster than I've ever driven, yet it seemed like an eternity. And I got home seeing the ambulance, and then of course we all rushed behind the ambulance to the hospital, and I remember as a 17-year-old boy sitting there across from the doctor, and the doctor saying, Jared, I'm sorry, but your dad, he didn't make it. And in that moment, you know what didn't matter to me? What didn't matter was the score of the basketball game I was in. What didn't matter was how many likes on social media I got or what I was going to be doing with my friends the next day. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered in that moment was my relationship with my father. And there's coming a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for all those who know Christ that will be the ultimate reality check where some of the things that we think on this earth mean so much and that we really live for and we think are great motivations and we'll come to a moment and we'll realize there are a lot of things that I thought mattered don't really matter. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing to Christians and he starts by giving this introduction and he says, hey, our lives as Christians, the, the word picture he uses, that it's like tabernacles. Like, it's just a temporary stay. We're here, but we're not citizens of this country. We're citizens of heaven. And if you're saved, it says you have the earnest of the Spirit, a down payment, so you know, hey, how do I know that God's going to come back for his own and there's going to be a rapture and go to heaven? How do I know? Well, we have the Holy Spirit in us that secures us, that seals us into the day of redemption so we can know, hey, of course I'm saved. I have Jesus in me. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so he goes through and he gives Christians this hope. Like life is a vapor. We're here for, for a short time. You know, life, it, it appears, but then it vanisheth away. And we're citizens in, of heaven. And we're going to spend eternity with our king, ruling and reigning with him. 
But there's a moment of time that's often overlooked that is the, is the small gap right in between our life on earth and forever with Christ in heaven. And it's a moment that Paul gives us a glimpse at. In 2 Corinthians 5, says this in verse 10, For we, Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone, that's you, that's me, may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we can't, we can't skip over this without putting ourselves in this, in this situation. Because, see, this is the first time that our faith will be made sight. We will be standing before Christ face to face. In verse number uh, 21, it says, For he, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 6 gives us a glimpse, and it really tells the story of the gospel, but in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw a king on his throne. He says, holy, holy, holy. He's so separate from sin. He's so above his creation. He's so perfect. He's so sinless. He's never done wrong. He's the king. By him were all things created. Everything was created by him and for him. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. By him, like everything was created. So we're talking about the creator God, the one who holds everything in place, the sustainer, the king, the righteous judge. He's so perfect. He's so holy. And then, what does that king do? Like, at the time, if you read through the Old Testament, like, how could we as sinners, how could sinners get to that God? How could sinners get to a perfect king on a throne who's holy, holy, holy? Like, he's so emphasized. Like, he's not like you. He's perfect. How do we get to him? And that's why we read all about these altars that people would make and these sacrifices that would be made to connect to that God, to, to temporarily like, to cover those sins, the perfect spotless lamb, because we don't want to see that wrath of God. People feared God because they knew he was omnipotent. He was all-powerful, and he still is. And so they would make altars, and they would want to try to connect, and they want to bridge that gap because he's so holy, but, but we need a mediator. And then in Philippians chapter 2, we find that Jesus, like, he, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, like, it's one thing to enter your creation, God. It's another thing to go from your throne and become a servant. Like, the king became a servant. Came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And then, what does John say in John 1? Gives a great introduction 
to this king and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, through the Old Testament, what would happen? Like, why is he referred to as the Lamb of God? Why is he the ultimate sacrifice? What's the big deal? We don't sacrifice. Yeah, but through the Old Testament, you see, like, sin was is such a big deal. Like, it's so terrible to God. He hates it so much. And so what people would have to do is they'd have to get these spotless lambs because sin has to have a payment, has to have a penalty. Like, there's God, sin doesn't go unpunished. It never has, it never will. So what would people do? Well, they would get these lambs, these perfect lambs, and they would take them to the slaughter, and they would, they would, they would cut the throats of the lamb, and the blood would come out, and it would, it would atone, it would cover, it would, it would be a satisfactory payment for the sin. And the high priests at the time, they would go through the Holy of Holies, and, and what would happen? Like, they would, they would literally have a, a rope around one ankle, and on the other, they would have bells. Like, what's that about? Because the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, was so holy, it was so perfect, that when they went in, if the priest did something wrong, like when he took the sins of everybody in there, if he did the wrong thing, if he wasn't, if he wasn't right with God, and he dropped dead, which happened, then nobody was going to go in. <laughs> nobody was going to go in and, and, and risk dying, right? They didn't want, they were, he was so holy. And so what would happen? When they stopped hearing the bells ringing on their, around their ankles, the people would start pulling the rope to get him out. Let's send somebody else in. We don't want to go in. That's the holy God that we're talking about. And then John says, and imagine the audience thinking when John says, behold, like take notice, the Lamb of God. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Singular, one lamb, can take away the sins of the world? Like, no more sacrifices? Like, we can now go before him boldly to the throne of grace? How can this be? And then to think that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. No, we're good. We're good keeping 613 laws. We're good sacrificing lambs for us and our family. We're good writing down every sin and giving to the priest to take to the Holy of Holies for us. We're good. We'd rather go through somebody else than go directly to you, God. Are you kidding? And Jesus, the King, the Creator, God Himself, He suffers physically, emotionally, spiritually. Why? For you, for me. And he, he lived a life we could never live. He died the death that we deserve. And he rose again the third day in victory, offering eternal life to all those who believe. And that is the gospel who we will now be standing before in this moment. See, the gospel is Jesus Christ. And now this king who became a servant. He did everything for you. He did everything for me. And now we're finally going to be standing before the king who gave everything for us. Some of us with tears in our eyes, because tears will be wiped away in this moment. Some of us will be standing before Jesus for the first time. Some of us, the reality is some of us, we'll see him in all of his glory and we will say, I was too busy to spend time with him. Like, I didn't believe that he was powerful enough. Like, he was powerful enough to save me, but he wasn't powerful enough to break me of my, of my temptation, of my guilt, of my past, of my addiction. Like, 
I loved sin more than him? Are you kidding? Like, I didn't think he was good enough to follow. I didn't think he was good enough to surrender because I thought he was just looking for those, like it was about me, not him. Are you kidding? God will have to wipe the tears from our eyes. And I want us to notice a couple words really quick because there's, there's some questions that have to be answered from this text. Some scary questions. Questions like in, in verse 10, why is it going to be a judgment seat? Why will there be terror in verse 11? And why will we receive things done in our body, whether they be good or bad? We can't just ignore that. Like, we have to, to, to dive into that. We have to figure out, well, what's it talking about? Like, I thought Romans 8.1 was still in the Bible. There is now, therefore, no condemnation, no penalty to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is 100% true. Why? Because Jesus took all of that sin. He's a perfect judge, which means nothing can go unseen, nothing can go unpunished. So every sin was taken on him. So what's the judgment? See, the judgment here is not a penalty, a condemnation. It's a decision that Christ will make. When he examines your life and he opens the books and he sees, did my life line up with the life that he wanted me to live? The life of victory, the life in freedom from bondage, the life living selflessly and sharing the gospel with others, the talking about the one who gave everything for me, does it line up? Because he won't give us rewards for things we didn't do. He just won't. Some of us, you're thinking, you know what? Okay, I get it. Like, did I live the life for God? Um, well, yeah, check. Because I'm in church Wednesday night. I'm a nursery worker. I'm a bus captain, a bus worker. Like, I work in junior church. I, I greet. I sing. I, I do all these things. Like, one time, I actually went out, and I went, I went sewing, you know, with the church, or I went on this missions trip, or I did these things. Are you kidding me? Of course, Christ is going to be so pleased with me. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, the same moment is described. It says, in that moment, it's not just going to be the works that are judged. It's going to be the why behind it all. Our motives for what we did will be judged. Will it be wood, hay, stubble? Will it make it through the fire? Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, sometimes we ask the wrong questions. If we're honest, we've asked the wrong questions. Because we'll ask things like, in a moment of temptation or a moment of decision, we'll justify or we'll say things like, well, if I do this, will God still love me? Of course. God is love. It's unconditional. No matter what you do, like read Luke 15. It doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter if you're the prodigal or you're the proud son in the home. It doesn't matter. He loves you no matter what, and he wants you to come back to him. But what we should be asking as children of God is, if I do this, if I think this, if I say this, if I don't do this, will God be pleased with me? See, there's a distinct difference through Scripture of God's love and God's pleasure. His love is unconditional, but his pleasure is far from unconditional. 
See, my mom's in here tonight. She loves me. She's always loved me no matter what I do. There have been times when I've made some terrible mistakes. I've done some things without thinking. I've said things that were terrible, and she still loved me. But in those moments, she was not pleased with me. Any parent, any relationship you have, you know exactly what that's like. Of course, I love you, but I'm grieving for you. What we have to understand is that in every moment of every day, there's only two options. No matter what we do, no matter what we think, no matter what we say, God is either pleased with me or he's hurt by me. And there is no in between. Like everything you do. Like that's why Joseph said before the written law, he's like, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So in Ephesians, it's like, well, grieve not the Holy Spirit. See, you're either crucified with Christ or you are crucifying Christ. He died once and for all, but he's still hurt by sin. Sin never goes unpunished. He still hurts for your sin because he sees, don't you understand that I died for that sin? Don't you understand that you don't have to live in that bondage? Don't you understand that victory is for all those who just accept it? All you have to do is follow me and trust that I'm better than that. Just follow me and see. Follow me and see what a life of joy is like, a life of peace is like. But do we, do we really claim that? Are we living a life that pleases God? Are our thoughts pleasing to Christ? Are actions pleasing to Christ? Is how we treat our neighbor, our coworker, pleasing to Christ? Well, I would never do that. Of course. You're talking about somebody who doesn't even know Christ. Of course they're not going to act like a Christian. But that's how they're maybe, hopefully, going to become a Christian is by seeing how you react. Is it pleasing to Christ? Say, how do I please Christ? I want to please Christ. How do I please Him? Verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now what's the terror going to be? What's the terror? What's that fear? What's that dread? What's that, the tears? Like, what's that all about? It's because when we get there, it's not going to be Christ punishing us. It's going to be seeing the nails, the nail scars, the side, the look on his face to know that all that sin was taken on him. He took every, every sin that I have am or will commit was taken on him and he took it all because he's a righteous judge and every sin has to be punished and he took everything on him and we'll see him and we'll realize in that terror. See, my fiance, Erica, in our relationship, I love her. So when I do something wrong, if I do something that I know she doesn't like or she said not to do, my fear is not her punching me, although she punches hard. My fear is not what she'll do to me. Like, that's, that's not really, I don't really care about that, honestly. Like, it's whatever. I can get over it. What I dread, what I fear is doing something and seeing the disappointment, seeing the tears, seeing the hurt, that what I did hurt the one I say I love. And that's what the terror is going to be. It's going to be in that moment, Will we be able to say, I lived a life that pleased Christ? I did a lot of things that hurt him. But a lot of hurt, a lot of grief on the, on the God I say 
I love. So how do we please him? Knowing the terror of the Lord. That moment is coming. We persuade men. Verse 20 also says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> like, do you want to please Christ? Just go tell people about him. Amen. Like, how simple is that? Like, after all of that. And what's so crazy is I always used to think that soul winning, like telling people about Christ and heaven and telling people about that, I thought the motivation was seeing and saying, oh, they're either saved or they're lost. Like, one day they're going to stand before Christ. But here in the context, that fear, that motivation to tell people about Christ is that we will stand before Christ. Yeah. So when we pass these coworkers, when we pass the person in the drive-thru, when we see this person in Walmart, when we see this unsaved family member, and we have to realize, you know what? If I don't tell them, like when the Holy Spirit is prompting me to talk to them, and I don't, God's hurt. Like, are you, are you ashamed of me? Like, do you not think that, that what you have is good enough to talk about? Because if you love something, you'll talk about it. If you love sports, you're going to talk about it. If you love politics, uh, I don't know about that one. If you, if you love uh, your family, you're going to tell people about Look at my kids. Look what they did. If you love Christ, you're going to talk about it. Amen. Another way we can please Christ is simply by obeying him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. See, sometimes, I, used to, I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it was just me. I used to wonder, like, wait a second. We're not under the law. We're under grace. So, like, what happens with all these, these Old Testament commands, even the commands, like some of the New Testament commands, it's kind of like, yeah, it's whatever. Like, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. God loves me no matter what. So, like, I can or I, I don't really have to. I'm not really under that. And here's the reality that took me a long time to come to you, but it's a greater motivation, is that God's commands are not demands, meaning he, he gives you free will, <laughs> Like, he's never going to force you because that's not love. God's commands are not demands. They are invitations to please him. See, everything that God puts in his word is a revelation of him in his heart. And every time we see, thou shalt, thou shalt not, and it's, like, it's referring to believers, like those who come to know Christ, and he says, hey, like, tell people about me. Like, like by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. We hear these things. It's not, oh, well, I got to go do this now. No, you don't. But you'll stand before him. You don't have to, but you're missing an opportunity, an invitation to please him. Anytime, uh, there's, a, there's a term that Eric and I talk about that we learned through college. It's called picking up on heart drops. It's where someone says something, and then you remember it, and you go do it for them because you want to make them happy. And that's exactly all the way through. Like when we read the word of God, do we ever look at it as an opportunity? Like, I want to do this, not because, oh man, if I don't, I'm going to get punished. No, do you ever just want to do something to please God? It's the whole reason for life, creation, is to please, to please God. So I want, I want to challenge you tonight. In anything, in any part of your life, any area, your thoughts and your, and your actions, your motives, your family, everything that you do at work, ask yourself this question. Is God pleased with this? See, we got to start asking that question. Amen. If we don't ask that question, we're either going to believe the lie that God stopped loving me, or we're going to continue in sin that grace may abound. And neither are right. 
Is God pleased with this? I'll end with this. There was a, a pastor, one on pastor, and he was getting up to preach at an event, and it was like a, I think it was a young adults conference, and there was like, there was bands, there was like all this like hype and this like these activities and all this, everybody's going crazy and excited, and, and you could kind of tell it was kind of superficial. And he got up after, and, and everybody was excited, just ready for whatever he was going to say. They were going to amen and just shout and scream. And he said, how many of you guys had a good time tonight? How many of you are enjoying this tonight? And everybody shouted and went crazy and was just looking for an opportunity to go, go wild. And then started to calm down, and he said, how many of you think God's enjoying this tonight? And the cheers started to lessen and lessen and lessen. I think the reality set in that sometimes we can go through life, we can go through work, we can go through even a church service, and we can never stop and ask the question, is God pleased with me? There's coming a day we'll all stand before Christ, and the question is, will you say, I'm glad I did, or I wish I had? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.